0: Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Kasperson. In this episode, I'm chatting with Martin Toha, the founder and CEO of Array. In this episode, we are talking about Martin's entrance into the fintech space and how After starting Array about three and a half years ago, the company just started to implement their diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging strategies. So Martin is here to debunk the idea that it's too early or too late to start implementing DEI into your fintech company. And he is sharing very candidly why he decided after three and a half years of building that it was time to bring in diversity into the fold and ensure that it is a part of every single element of arrays, makeup, build up, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm so excited for you to hear this episode and to learn more about how to personalize and individualize your version of what good and success looks like. So enjoy my conversation with Martin Toa. Martin, thank you so much for joining me on Humans of Fintech. Uh, so excited to have you on the show and to learn more about you and Array.
1: It's awesome. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited.
0: Yes. Well, we always like to start by first learning more about you and how you entered the fintech space. So I guess start from the beginning. You could start at birth, but you know, feel free to, to cut through the noise a little bit for us. How does your journey to fintech kind of start?
1: Yeah. So... I'll skip the birth uh, early days, but I uh, grew up as an oldest brother of three. Did a lot of um, problem solving and caretaking when I was was growing up. And one of the funny stories I always like to tell is when I was growing up, my family never lets me live this one down. But when I was growing up, my my baby brother was crying. Uh, actually, he was more of a eight or nine-year-old at the time. And uh, I was like, how do I solve this problem? And I tried everything I possibly could. And I The final thing that finally worked was I put him out in the backyard. And then about 15 minutes later, my neighbors came by, our neighbors came by with him around the front door and he was still crying. And so it's funny because at uh, family get-togethers, I always get, uh, I I never get uh, past this one where this is how I tried to solve some of my first problems was just very, very focused on it. But anyways, was very much involved in school with math, was part of a math program growing up and really, really involved with some really great great people in that. And then during high school, actually, this was a long, long time ago, so it'll date me, I started building a, a shopping cart software, which is what they called it at the time. And this was when I was 17, 16, 17. And this this was sort of the, one of the first things I was able to, to build as a problem solver, which actually kind of got me hooked. So one of the other jokes I'll tell is uh, I, as a founder didn't start on a futon, but one of the first shopping cart sites I built was for a site that sold futons. And so that was wow. kind of how I got my my start. And that was over 25 years ago. So I'm very, very much a uh, you know seasoned business person at this point, but, but definitely was involved in problem solving and technology at, at an early day.
0: So you're interested in problem solving early on, which I'm the youngest of three and I have two older brothers. So I was the one being left out in the in the outside to stop <laughs> crying kind of thing. Um, but, you know, how does that, I guess, evolve into that first kind of foyer into, I, don't know, I guess, online, almost payments, if you will, and online like e-commerce and transactions? Yeah, like that's kind of where you started.
1: Yeah, it was early days. Uh, it was late 90s uh, when I got started. And so everything was kind of new, but also just felt a lot like it was the same thing, but also digital uh, or also online or, or whatnot. So it was back in the time when we weren't sure how things were going to end up, if it, if it was actually going to become a thing or not, but I uh, was definitely really hooked on the idea that you could use technology and digital digital capabilities to help people get better information, operate quicker, solve business problems and whatnot. So just, you know, no, nothing special, but just, just very much addicted to the space in that way. And Moved on to start actually a voice over IP company after e-commerce and payments and uh, did a quick stint there, but then got involved in my last company right before Ray. I was involved in in identity protection as a consumer service and really got a taste of how to market consumer products and how to approach consumer acquisition from a online digital perspective. And and this was a, a very long but very, I learned a lot when I built this company. And um, one of the things that was unfortunate for me in that business was I realized I spent most of my time really building uh, the customer acquisition process and the customer retention process. And I didn't spend a lot of time on the product. And, And really that caused me to always have that question in the back of my head, like what happens if I just had better product or what happens if I had a better solution? But I was, I was involved in this, you know, financial technology space for for several years before, uh, before Ray. And um, one of the typical stories you hear is you hear about a founder who starts a B2C business. And then, uh, you know, year, two years, three years later, and there's so many various stories about this, then they start a B2B business. The uh, note on me is that it took me nine years to start my B2B business after my B2C business. So it's kind of a a measure of my intelligence in some ways where other founders have figured it out after you know nine months. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you, you figured it out in, in the right amount of time. It took me almost a decade to uh, to make the transition. But uh, basically what we did was we found out that there was a unmet need in the market around providing these embedded, and at the time was just credit and identity data to businesses so they could provide those solutions to their consumers. And I'll get a little bit further into it, but that shift for us was big. And I actually had to step down from my last company because it just Array just takes 100% of my focus. And I've been working at, at Array for about three years now.
0: How did that idea come about? Was it like an extension of your first company and, and all of that you learned over the, you know, I guess almost decade, if you will, and and then Array was sparked? Or yeah, was it completely separate? What's the connection there?
1: Yeah, so one of the key solutions that uh, we had to provide to ourselves at, at my last company was having access to the major credit bureau data sets and being able to deploy these identity and credit solutions for consumers. So that was sort of a uh, thing that we had to do as a D2C business. And then what we did was we kept rebuilding the tech stack over the last 10 years because I'm a, an engineering uh, builder by, by heart. And sort of on the last go around, what we found was that there was other companies that also wanted the ability to do the same thing. And it was actually just too hard for them or it was a little too complicated or the the security requirements were a little too high. And so they just didn't do it. So what ended up happening is as we built this last version of the platform for ourselves, we realized that there was other companies who could use it as well. And so that sort of spun off the the separate business.
0: Can you tell my audience a little bit about array and what you do?
1: First product we started out with was a embeddable credit solution. And what that means is it allows consumers to see their manage their credit. Uh, So that's the simplest analogy that you can give is you log into your bank account. Sometimes you can see your credit score or your credit report in that information. Well, the bank is not the company that stores all that credit information. Uh, That's the credit bureau typically behind the scenes. And then the bank is sort of showing you That information through their app. So Array's first product was the technology that allows companies to embed that feature set into their app. And so what we found was it was more than just the largest banks that wanted to do this. It was also smaller financial institutions and credit unions, and it was also fintechs, and it was also digital brands and things like that. And so our first product is the uh, embedded credit product. And then over the last three years, we've expanded into a series of other products some of which touch into the rest of building out the, the fintech and credit uh, and and life cycle for a consumer. So, one of the ones we're just launching now is a is a product called Build Credit Loan, which is a a process that uh, allows a consumer to build their credit using a proper loan, as opposed to some of the other things that are out in the market right now. And again, it's embedded. So the way I describe Array is it's a it's a suite of products that allow. A company, a partner or client of ours to provide these solutions to their their consumers at their app or or at their website.
0: What are you enjoying more so far? What wins? B2C for you or or this B2B? I guess right now you might want to say B2B given that's what you're doing. But curious the the pros and cons. How's it been different for you the last three and a half years?
1: They're very different businesses. So one on the upside of a B2C business is that you have a lot more control, what you feel like you have more control over your destiny. You feel like you can buy marketing and attract users to your website or improve your product and then get people to more interact with it. And so you have that faster time to, you know, what you do has a faster result and impact in the world. And so there's a little bit of a, a nice connection point there whereas in the B2B space, you know, we work through and with our clients and our partners. So everything we do uh, is on behalf of them. And we basically create these solutions that are very custom and bespoke for their use cases. And so it takes a little bit longer to have that impact. But on the upside, you know, we are a great platform business and we have the ability to impact so many more users without having to go and acquire them all one by one. So, you know, millions and millions of users have been using the product on a on a monthly basis now and and that's something that typically a 3-year-old d2c business can't can't get involved with. So, I'd say it's a little bit more exciting from that perspective, maybe a little little bit more scary in some ways, but it's it's I would say it's more fun.
0: I'm glad you share that because I think especially for a lot of the, you know, fintech curious folks that will, you know, that listen to my show, there's, you know, all sorts of misconceptions about what fintech is or how you can jump in or Places to you know be a part of it, and I do think you know it would be helpful to see more you know of the the new wave of fintech curious folks to come in and, and be a part of the B two B space because it is uh, an area I've always been a part of, and once you realize the impact that you can have by working directly with the people that directly influence the consumer, then. It is exciting. Then you're like, okay, like I am making, and, and in ways you get to almost like work smaller, but make a bigger impact, which is kind of interesting. So don't sleep on B2B opportunities, listeners, because they are out there. So, something also that's really unique about Array is that you started the company about three and a half years ago. You're about six months in now into implementing and and creating, if you will, a uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging strategy into the company, which obviously we're coming out with uh, a report together about this, the uh, FinTech is times Array report. So be sure to look out for that. But also, I just love how open and transparent you've been about sharing that. But feel free to share a little bit more with our listeners about that decision.
1: One of the main reasons that always comes to mind is, and maybe this is unique to Array, I'm not sure, but we sell the companies and then they provide services to consumers. And so while we have to win a client, a company over, and we have to convince them to work with Array and, and, and give them good reason to do that, they also have to convince their users, their consumers, to use the product that we work on with them together. What that means is, is that means ultimately, if our client isn't happy, if they're if our clients' users aren't happy with the product, then it won't, it won't succeed. And so, long term thinking allows us to look back and say, okay, well, what type of product experience do we want to have for our consumers? And so, I have a lot of experience from my last company, and I can say for, for certain, that we actually don't have a particular demographic. So I know a lot of fintechs and um, businesses in, in certain space really focus on, and this is not true for everybody, but a lot of them really focus on a specific target market or demographic in some ways. And they try to hit that and win in that market. And then they try to expand from there. And that makes total sense. And it's the, it's the proper uh, process to go through and it's proven successful time and time again. The products that Array sells are actually very horizontal. So they, they are across the United States. And in some ways they skew towards the emerging markets or the emerging demographics where consumers that are either not with a credit profile or had just moved here or are just getting out of high school, they're the ones that are most interested in this these sort of solutions. And so just knowing that back, backdrop and then knowing that the most important thing for us is to win in the product space, what I wanted to make sure was that we built the DNA early days that that really was aligned to the consumer. So we didn't really want to have a particular set of internal beliefs and internal thoughts and, and goals that weren't really aligned to the broader audience. And so I felt like it would just be good for us to think about that early, early enough in our process before we sort of get very focused on a on a specific use case or demographic.
0: What is step one? Because I think a lot of fintech companies or startups in general. You know, they might think, oh, well, I didn't focus on B at the beginning, so I've already missed the boat or, you know, it's too late or it's too early or whatever. So I'm here to debunk that it is never too early or too late, you know, and that you can start at your own time. And I think you're a great example of that. So what was that step one after realizing you needed to implement?
1: It depends on exactly what you're trying and your goals are. But I would definitely say I believed that for our company, that the earlier we started the better. I felt like knowing how things get built over time and belief systems and teams and structures get created, you know, the earlier you can create that DNA uh, inside of your organization, you know, that would be a, a better thing to do, even if you don't get it right. And I think that's the most important thing. And I, and I also think that talking about things more fluidly and more openly as part of your team and as part of your group is, is sort of how a lot of people can get started. It doesn't have to be a very structured process. And in fact, I don't even know how you'd even do it that way. But for a lot of companies, being able to be open to the topics and conversations is important because you don't really know what success looks like. Uh, and it's a, it's a never-ending process and it's a never-ending goal. And so it's a, it's a balance between all, all the above. So I would say you know, step one is to start thinking about it and actually just talking about it within your organization.
0: And I love that you said at the top... When we were first talking about your foray into implementing DEIB into Array, it's that you were thinking about what the customer wants, right? What does that end customer want? How did you kind of realize that what the end customer wants is directly correlated with the diversity makeup of our company? Because without it, how do we create a product for this customer?
1: It's a great question. I don't have a solid answer to say I absolutely know for sure what the answer is. But I do know that I'm sort of the type of uh, operator or founder that doesn't really want to be blindsided. Mm-hmm. So I feel like having the discussion, having the points of interest, having the topics being able to be talked about by the people in various different points of view is really, really important. Mm-hmm. It's TBD. You know, Will that, will that actually yield the, the best outcome? Mm-hmm. It's sort of our bet, and so I, I, I hope to think that this is this is the way there.
0: So you think about it as the founder, right, and and leader, and then you talk about it. Finally, then what happens?
1: Then you have to start to make decisions around where you want to make investments, and exactly how you want to have those investments roll out, and what does good look like, and and whatnot. And so we we brought in someone to. Really bring it all together for us from a programmatic and, and also conversation perspective. And and there's just so many different moving parts, and it's hard as a founder to know exactly what what all the newest and best approaches are, and what the right way to land certain things are, and and when something it shouldn't be so front and center, when something should be so so. Really lean on on her as a partner in this in this program. It's been fantastic.
0: What has been, I guess, some of the things she's been able to help implement or, yeah, just kind of help move forward so that you can continue on this process as you have in the last six months? So many things. Um, she's accomplished yeah. so much in, in six months. I mean, we've been. Yeah, it feels like it's actually been
1: longer than six months. But yeah, maybe it's only been six months. I guess that's how it works in in startup startup, land. Uh, startup uh, time or, or whatnot. Yeah. There's some obvious things that you want to start with that I don't think measure anything related to good or bad or success or failure, but just to sort of understand baseline. So most companies will start with metrics around who works for the company, who's applying to work for the company, how much of a management and leadership roles they all have, and sort of just getting a, an idea of like, where are we right now? Not to say that where we are is good or bad or where we're going is good or bad, just to like get get your hands wrapped around metrics and i think that's you know not something you need to spend a lot of time on these days because most of the software platforms and we're all probably in fintech guilty of buying some sort of pretty cool software platform to manage hris systems out there but a lot of that stuff can be easily exported and pulled into some views and then you can start to ask some questions around like oh that's interesting or or that's a trend I didn't know or things like that. And it starts to create discussions. So that that being like an easy one to get underway. But then more importantly, you have to start to change the the topic of conversation to being purely about the company and its success to more about the team. And how can the team feel that they can be a bigger part of the success of the business and how each of them brings an individual approach to it? That's the never-ending hard work and so that's the big, the bigger bucket of things that you know we've we started on. We are trying to to continue to work on that, and that's just a a very big internal project. And it gets harder as you get bigger uh, as an organization, I believe. And then I would say, thirdly, you know, you have to know where your place is in the world, so you can just get a sense of like what others are doing. So you need some connectivity to the outside. You can have all good intentions, and you can really try to figure things out internally, and you can try to measure everything. But if you're not really looking, you know, picking your head up and looking around, I feel like that's also sort of ingredients for maybe not a great outcome sometimes. And so, uh, I think that the person that that's sort of responsible for this within your organization or the team should should really have that that great connectivity outside with, uh, and and that's sort of a very. Broad stroke, right? That that can be done so many different ways uh, through advisors and programs and groups and and things like that. So I, I you know I think about it in those three lenses.
0: Well, I think that for me makes me think about how important it is to probably be patient in choosing the right person for that. You know, if it's a diversity, equity, and inclusion officer role or that type of thing. I mean, is that how are you you were thinking about it? Because yeah, I feel like you should be patient. It can be probably easy to be like, oh, we want to implement DEIV for all the you know amazing reasons. Let's just find the first person as quickly as possible. But probably takes more patience than that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess this is true for almost any any role in a very small company is that you're typically almost always better off waiting to find a better person or the right person for your organization, depending on the culture fits and the values. And And what's important but this one is even more important i think because it's touching so many parts of every part of the organization and it's also a big part of the organization uh the tone and the 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 approach you take to things so you have to get it right and i think that it's important to say you don't have to necessarily have a person dedicated to doing it, and and other also you can have a person that's sort of dedicated to doing it and does other things. I mean, this is this is startup land, um, and so you're there's nothing wrong with um, with with that, and I think that's that's good too. And so we've been very lucky, but at the end, but at the end of the day, I, I would be very patient and lean on making sure you get the right person because obviously, if you get the wrong person or it doesn't work out, and there's a million reasons why that can happen it can put a bad spin on things internally, and then it could just take that much longer to to get that motion moving again.
0: I mean, I imagine it starts, it does start internally, right? Before you feel the, I guess, ripple effect, right? That you're, that we're hoping to feel, right? That the statistics tell us that we're going to feel in terms of diversity at a company and and that helping with performance. But yeah, I mean, how is it like, I guess seeing it all happen internally First,
1: so it's still early for us. We're we're still working through all of it. I would say that we're definitely rallying around it. We're glad we're everyone's very supportive, and we're very glad we're we're making this this um, concerted approach to how we want to build the team and the organization. And I think it's you know we get a couple of benefits being in a remote culture post COVID and and things like that. But but at the end of the day, you know firsthand, it's 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 really fun to see and and there's there's interesting conversations that come up that I just was like, oh, that's a thing. Uh, that's an interesting co-. And so just from a, f- a founder's perspective, it's, it's, I would say from my perspective, it's been a good perspective to add to the perspective that I typically bring to, you know, trying to get get things done and problem solve. I think, you know, back to my my story with my little brother, I would always say like, yeah, but I solved the problem. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as, I, as I'm 20, 40 years older now, You know, I realized that when you solve problems as founders, I think as a founder, as a, you know, whatever role you are in an organization, I think you have to always be mindful of like second order effects to how you're going about solving the problem. So very, very much founder approach could be like, okay, this is a problem. Let me create a solution. And I think that's great. I'm, I'm all for that. I think that's wonderful. But then sometimes when you think about, you know, your product and how that's a solution to a problem, there's other things that are, that are impacted by that and second order and third order effects that you have to be mindful of and i i don't think of this as like one of those but i think of it as something to be mindful of in the process of of solving problems right like if i if i take this road how will that affect it so it's not the number one guider of how to solve something or how to how to improve a situation or how to bring value into an organization but it is definitely something to be Mindful of as part of your decision making, and I think that in and of itself is highly valuable. And it and it, it's also just more interesting as an operator of a business to like you know what I don't have just one goal, I have one maybe two three main goals, but then I have a couple of other goals that I have to make sure constraints, if you will, that that um, that we'll, we'll hold ourselves accountable to. So I think I think the problem. And solution thing is great for me, but then just always have to remind, remember that you know it's still a, a person, and and uh, and there's 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 you know people are affected by by decisions and, and goals.
0: I think it's getting you're getting to the part where it's something that is always a factor in in the building of the company, right? So it's not like okay, so we thought about it, we talk about it now internally. And now we have a DEIB officer all set. We're good. Like it's, you know, and oh, she's going to implement things and we're going to be all set. It's instead, Okay. well, this is a factor, just like a bunch of other little factors. This is like my bubble that I'm thinking of. This is the startup. There's all these little things that, right, you know, impact it and your everyday decisions and all of these little bubbles must follow you along everywhere. And like diversity is one of them and it's so much more holistic than i think people realize because it is right it's about touching the end consumer but also the in your in your case right also hitting the the client right that you're after but also taking care of your own knitting right your own uh your own company so you're it's like just like anything else that's where i'm at martin like i'm just trying to help the world see that this is just like anything else we should be considering when we build companies, especially fintech companies, especially because the fintech game is after such a diverse demographic, going back to you wanting to serve your customers properly. Customers are becoming more diverse than ever before. So logically it should pan out.
1: One of my memories from this process was doing the interviews for someone to help us with this. And it was interesting for me to hear the type of work that people were doing at other companies and how we just perceived it differently. Like a lot of other companies think about it like, like you just said, let me hire a person. Now I'm good. And, um, they'll, they'll create the report every quarter or whatever it is, and they'll run a couple of things and we're good. That actually wouldn't matter at all to us for right now. So, you know, we're not a certain type of company where we have to demonstrate a certain percentage of of, of things and we're definitely not a big public company and so it's like for us it was not about that and so it was really interesting to hear what people were asked to do in this space which i thought in a lot of cases were they felt themselves like this wasn't really the goal but this is what i'm being asked to do if that makes sense and so i i spent a lot of time through those interviews thinking through like what is it that i think for for i guess the the way that i was trying to wrap that up was the interview process helped me understand a little, a lot better what it is that we were, what we could make out of out of this uh, goal, um, as opposed to thinking about it in the way that everyone else would. And so, I think it allowed us to like really brainstorm internally, like what is it when someone's here, like in simple terms, when someone's here for three months or six months, how do we know if they've done well for us? Or how do we know if if we're, we're a good fit? And so really, really thinking that through is a good exercise. And that that may tell you as a fintech or as a founder or someone looking to hire for this role, like, are you really ready for, for this person? And you can almost think about it that way. Um, if you can almost think about what good looks like for them, uh, bringing them on. And then when you go through that process, that may help you arrive at how to do it. And that, that was really impactful to me.
0: And I'm really grateful for you sharing this because, like I said at the top, I think there's so many misconceptions around, well, I've been around three years, it's too late. I've been around five years, it's too late. But I think what you've done, Martin, at at Array is really showcase that, well, this is when we had felt it was appropriate for us and right for us. And that's how every company should take it. It is individualized, it is personalized. There is no amazing, magnificent, magical blueprint out there that you can just throw on any company and it work. It has to be every company's case-by-case basis and how DEIB is implemented. That is like, for me, the big takeaway. If we can get people to realize that and make it less fearful and less scary, then, you know, I think we could see a lot of awesome things happen in our industry.
1: Really appreciate all the work you're you're doing as well. It's I know it's uh, also a very hard road to go down. I have a question for you if I can ask. Yeah. So what does good look like? Um, how do, how do we know? You said so every company has a, a good decision around, has to make their own decision around when to start or how to, you know, like how do we know we're heading in the right direction or, or do, do we even have a sense of that? With You know, your, you have a good broader view of the market. Is there a pattern that you're seeing or, or?
0: I think that there is no perfect definition for what good looks like. I mean, OK, wait, hold on. Perfect would be I guess let's take gender parity, right? Fifty-fifty representation would be ideal, right? Uh, some of my favorite female heroes and idols will always say, "I'm done talking about this when it's not a problem anymore," right? When there's proper gender parity, but it's so complex and so so nuanced, and you know, so by case by case and by company by company, that you know, good has to look like very specific to to you. I think that it all comes down to a very grassroots approach though to who you are and how you operate on an individual level. And that means, you know, who what does your friend group look like? Who do you surround yourself and your children every day? Who do you hire, right? Who do you hang out with at work? Who is around you at work all the time? Are you taking the time and effort to make sure that your LinkedIn network is diversified? because at the end of the day we all hire people based off of our friends half the time most of the time so i think if we can start with ourselves and if we as individuals decide that we're committed to basically making our entire you know world a bit more fruitful and bountiful and plentiful with as many you know diverse and interesting perspectives as possible that just makes everything more fun and everything more interesting and It makes innovation so much more possible because, like you said, I don't want blind spots, but we all got them. And you have to have someone check them. At the end of the day, none of us know everything. When no one, DEIB officers don't know everything. Someone needs to check them too, right? So, yeah, I think logically you could be like, okay, 50-50 representation. That's perfect. For me, I am excited if I just see individuals that, like yourself, that are dedicated that to me is is progress and i do think that i am seeing it more and i think this conversation is happening a lot more yeah that would be like the pattern that i'm seeing i think there's more individual and that's good because that's the i think that's the the key
1: it does feel that way it feels like we're we're heading in the right direction but we're not there yet so it's uh it's it's good that's good that's encouraging
0: right it's it's always going to take time. And I think that if we can remember that the pathway to profitability is deeply like rooted in more diverse perspectives in a room and creating products, then I think that's also a big misconception that we have to kind of debunk, like that it's easy to let go of diversity and inclusion when markets are crappy and we have to think about profitability. Well, fundamentally, the pathway to profitability is a diverse industry. So we have to, we're kind of losing that little, just like everything else, right? Back to our little, Mm -hmm. our circles and pods of things. Um, But anyways, I know you have to run. My final question for you would be, if you need to be, if we need to be the change that we wish to see, what change do you wish to see in fintech and how do you embody it?
1: If at the end of the day, we, we sort of have a view on what good looks like and everyone's sort of taking on a little bit of, of that role. I think it becomes very much, um, we become like a lighthouse or a, 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 um, a North star towards this goal. And I think that really, I would like FinTech to be that North star, uh, where people can say, okay, that's, that's how it's being done well. And that's how it's, it can be done and it can be successful. Look, look at how they're doing it sort of approach. And I think that we, we have the opportunity to do that because we're building from scratch in some ways. And so I would say that that's, that's maybe a, a success that that that's ours to ours to take uh, in fintech, which will be fun and exciting.
0: Yes. Oh, my gosh. We should. We should just own it. I, I agree. It is ours for the taking. Thank you so much, Martin, for joining me on Humans of Fintech. We did it. Thank you, Nicole. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too.